over the years, I have wrecked my vocal cords uh, singing for so many years and preaching for so many years and screaming at ball games for many years. <laughs> Good way to wreck your vocal cords so I have problems every now and then. But we're glad you're here. <clears throat> I'll be praying for our pastor and a couple other families. He went on vacation. I took uh, two, two other families with him. Took half the church with him on vacation. Yeah. Isn't that something? <laughs> anyway, so you're stuck with me this morning. But we're glad to be here. I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord. I tell you what, I've loved to come to church since I was a small child. When I was a kid, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, it wasn't a question on Sunday morning of what we were going to do. You just got up and you went to church. <clears throat> and our household was different. We had three girls, a mom and three girls, and one bathroom. So we had a wonderful time. <laughs> but we managed to get on church on time, most of the time. <laughs> we always knew if we were late coming into church because you could hear the music out in the parking lot. <laughs> That's one thing that Assembly of God Church has been known for, their loud, exuberant music. And I like that we have always been on the cutting edge of music. And, and praise and worship, you know. Uh, I grew up on the old hymns out of the book and some courses. But I like the new stuff, too, because the new stuff, it, it appeals to uh, our younger generation, and it seems to strike a chord. A lot of the new songs are directly from the Scripture. If you didn't know, but a lot of the new songs are from Psalms and Proverbs and different Scriptures. and Isaiah, there's a lot of them that are good. So, I guess what I ought to do for the words up there on the screen, I should put the Bible verse that goes with it. Would that be neat? <clears throat> anyway, we're glad you're here. Um, just want to uh, speak for a few minutes. Oh, by the way, when you go out the foyer, look at the foyer. We finally got paint to match and finished painting the foyer. <laughs> so when you see Sean, I believe you give credit where credit's due. When you see Sean, just, just say, hey, the four-year looks good. It'll make him feel good. And then he'll paint something else in the church for us. <laughs> he, he worked all day Friday and all day Saturday uh, working on that four-year. He painted the walls and he did the trim around the doors white. They had become so yellow. If you remember, everything was yellow. And he wanted to do the doors. I said, but don't do the doors yet. I think we might be putting glass doors in there, uh, you know, kind of to modernize and make the security Right now, it's kind of security. Our Clinton walked in. I didn't even know he was coming in the door until he opened the door. And so, you know, if we had glass doors, you could see who was approaching, and we could duck for cover if we needed to. <laughs> anyway, but uh, I, I appreciate you guys. You let me be gone on, uh, on the first and third Sunday preaching over at Canaan Land, and just want to let you know that those people appreciate it. They're sweet folks, and if they have 25 in church, it's a big crowd. It's a little small church. They can't afford a full-time pastor. So I go on the first and third Sunday, and then they have another minister. Ross goes on the second and fourth. He's over there right now preaching to those people. But they're sweet and enjoy being over there anyway. But I'm glad to be here this morning. So I got a really short message. That means absolutely nothing. <laughs> but I um, got a really short message that I want to uh, uh, speak on this morning. The topic is just look to me. Just Look to me, or just look, just look. But before we get started, let's pray. Ask the Lord to help us this morning. To say, Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the privilege and the opportunity to come to your house to hear your word, to fellowship with believers. Uh, Father, would you ask you to bless everyone that's here, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a mind to comprehend that which you'd have us to have this morning. Father, would you ask the preacher to come, the teacher to come, 
Let me say what you'd have me to say. That and nothing more. Holy Spirit be in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. We'll start with a scripture in Isaiah. I've got several scriptures, but um, we'll, I think we have them up there. Yeah, we'll have them on the board. Um, Isaiah 45, 21. <clears throat> we'll start at 21. It says, Who has declared from this ancient time? Who has told it that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no other God besides me. A just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Verse 22 says, Look to me and be saved, all ye ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Look to me. Let's look at the definition of look. The definition of look is it means to uh, direct your eyes in a particular direction. It means to direct your eyes. In, so when somebody says, Look, you know, you, you're going to look where they're pointing to say, You know, every, we know what look means. Or it says to gaze in wonder or surprise. To gaze in wonder. When you look at something, you, you know, that's, that's look. That's like a kid on Christmas morning when they come out and see the tree. <gasps> Unless they were like my children and unwrapped their gifts ahead of time and then rewrapped them back up and put them under the tree again. <laughs> or, or I hid the stuff in the attic and... <clears throat> my son discovered he could pull down the attic stairs and get the bicycle and the skateboard out, and they played on it till I got home from work and then put it back up before I got home. And I wondered why the bicycle tires were dirty on Christmas morning. <laughs> Duh, it took me a while to figure this out. But look, <laughs> we know what look means. Uh, <clears throat> look, looking is easy. Anyone can do it. Uh, one of the first things we teach our babies is to look here. A child can look, right? <laughs> the first thing you do is, oh, looky, looky, and you see the babies fall. You, that's one of the first things you want to do when you have a baby, see if they're following your sound or seeing if they're following the light or a color, seeing if they're following something. You know, that's one of the first things we do to uh, gauge their response is see if they look and follow sound or follow what the sound of the voice, you know? That's why uh, my daughter has... Uh, her daughter uh, singing and, and reading stories to the unborn child so that when, when Brandon gets here, he will recognize his sister's voice, you know, and that's what you can do. Uh, I, had a, I had a niece that played classical music to her unborn child. He put the headphones right there and was, you know, whatever. They say it's supposed to increase intelligence, but I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> but that's one of the first concepts that we do. Babies can look. Uh, look is one of the first concepts we understand and some of the first words we learn to read. Do you remember your first grade or your kindergarten primers? You know, you learn, you learn, oh, 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 look, 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 see rough, see rough run, oh, oh, look, look, right? You, you remember these things? And the kids came home and they so you were so proud that you could read and see these words. And you're proud when the child learns, look, look, you know, see, whatever, puff or whatever the, the character. Uh, I had Alice and Jerry. What did you have? <laughs> okay. Anyway, that's one of the first. And, and when, of course, you know, there's the infamous look. Look at the camera and say, cheese, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even the dog's saying cheese there. Excuse me. Do you guys pose your pets for Christmas? How many of them has a stocking for the pets? 
Yeah, I know. We do too. (laughs) And we, we learn at an early age to turn our attention when someone says, look. Say, look. Especially in the South. You got these good old redneck boys. When they say, hey, y'all, look here. <laughs> What's this? <laughs> Get your camera out. We're fixing to win $100,000 on the uh, funniest home videos. Yeah, hey, y'all, watch this. Look here. <laughs> yeah, there's no telling what these good old southern boys would do. So what's that got to do with my message today? All of this, look. Uh, we, as humans, have a tendency to make things overcomplicated. Do you not? I have a grandson who is very, very intelligent. He's also ADHD, but he's very, very intelligent. And he overcomplicates things, you know. He just he makes things overcomplicated. It's got to be simple, Luke. You know, just simple it down. But he, he makes it overcomplicated. And, and he gets it honest because my son does that too. <laughs> but we as humans have a tendency to overcomplicate things when actually... Things, most things in the world is simple. Something as simple as the Bible. And we've complicated it so. We've taken something so simple as the Bible and made it so complicated that most people think they can't understand it. Most people think they can't understand it. But it's so simple. It's very simple. The Bible is God's revelation of Jesus Christ to man. Throughout the Bible... Jesus is saying, look to me. Throughout the entire Bible, that's simply the Bible, is God's revelation of Jesus Christ to man. It's his method of restoration, of restoring man to himself through Jesus Christ. Amen? So throughout the Bible, Jesus is saying, look to me. Look to me. So this morning, I want you to think about this as we go through this. Look to me. That's what Jesus is saying. I said in a message a couple of weeks ago that Jesus is the answer to every question. And he's saying, look to me. Look to me throughout the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, look to me throughout the Old Testament. He's saying, look to me in the Passover lamb. He's saying, look to me in the manna from heaven. He's saying, look to me in the bronze serpent that was lifted up on the staff. Read Genesis. He's saying, look to me in the kinsman redeemer. He's saying, look to me in the stone that the builder rejected. He's saying, look to me as the fourth man in the fiery furnace. He's still in the fire and he's walking in the flames, right? He's saying, look to me as the great shepherd. But then in the New Testament as well, Jesus is saying, look to me. He said, look to me as the baby in the manger. He said, look to me as the child that was sought out by the wise men. He said, look to me as the young man in the temple confounding the teachers of the law. He said, look to me as the one who turned the water into wine. He said, look to me as the one who fed the 5,000 with two small fish and five loaves of bread. He had a two-piece fish happy meal. And he fed 5,000. He said, look to me as the one who opened the blinded eyes. And he made the lame to walk and the dumb to speak. 
He said, look to me as the one who called out to Lazarus, come forth from the grave. He said, look to me in the garden praying, not my will, but thine be done. He said, look to me in the lash that ripped the flesh from his back. He said, look to me as the one carrying the cross down the narrow streets of Jerusalem up the hill to Golgotha. He said, look to me as the one who was lifted up on the cross on Golgotha's hill. He said, look to me as the one who was laid in the borrowed tomb and sealed with a stone. And he said, look to me, the risen victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Jesus was saying, look to me, just look to me in everything. Salvation is another thing that we have so overcomplicated. We made it so complicated for people to understand. And it's very simple. It's so simple the child can understand. I can remember we had a, an Easter program, and uh, our pastor was about four years old at the time. And he was sitting with Wendy out in the congregation. And we had three young men, and we portrayed the Easter story. We had plastic up on the platform here because we had cross and we had blood coming down, and it dripped the whole time. I don't know what kind of concoction I mixed up to make the blood, but the whole time during this program, you could hear that blood dripping and hitting that plastic going spat, 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 spat. And it was a very dramatic presentation. And at the end, the pastor came up to do an altar call. And J.B. grabbed Wendy's hand and said, we got to go. <laughs> he was four years old. But it was so simple that even a child can understand salvation. But we make it complicated. But it's very, very simple. You look in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It's very simple. Probably many of you can quote this. It says, if you confess uh, with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's simple. It's simple as ABC. Admit you're a sinner. Believe on Lord Jesus Christ and confess him as your Lord. ABC. Very simple. And we overcomplicate that. And Ephesians 2.8 explains it even further. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Nothing you can do to earn your salvation. It's grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. The saved grace through faith, through grace alone. That's what Martin Luther tacked up on the wall. Saved by grace alone. Not works. Saved by grace alone. We make it so complicated. Well, you got to do this and you got to do that. I remember Mike Lewis explaining when he told his testimony so many, many times. And uh, by the way, I'm working on some recordings of Mike Lewis that you can, you can get, but I, I'm not quite finished. He would say, it's got to be done by a licensed and ordained missionary Baptist preacher on a Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, They make it so complicated when it's really so simple. Salvation. We just need to look to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. I think uh, uh, some versions say the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, perfection. Does that mean that we're perfect? Only through Jesus Christ, because he's given us a perfect faith. Hebrews 12 and 1 says, Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. 
You know, when, when you watch the Olympics or any kind of a track meet, you see those athletes, they lay aside every encumbrance. Some of them lay aside too many clothes, too. But they lay aside anything that might encumber them in the race. And when they start running, they don't look at the crowd. They don't look at the competition. They're looking at that finish line. And they're concentrating on getting to that finish line before anybody else and finishing that race. If you watch the Boston Marathon, you'll see that some people just barely make it to crawl across that line. But they're looking. They're looking to finish and get across that line, laying aside everything that encumbers us. I'm, that's making it so simple that whatever bothers you, whatever is encumbering you, whatever is present, preventing you from running the race, lay it aside. And look only to Jesus, who's at the finish line. That's what we're after, getting to the finish line to be with Jesus, right? The only means of salvation is not in ourselves. The only means of sanctification is not in ourselves. What is sanctification? It's one of those churchy words a lot of people don't understand. The same way, the same thing, the same means to salvation is the same means to sanctification, you look to Jesus. Sanctification means setting yourself apart for Christ. Taking off those things that encumber you, that hinder you from serving Christ. That makes sense? If it bothers you, if it keeps you from serving Christ, if it, if it, uh, if it stands in the way of your Christian walk, guess what? Lay it down. Get rid of it. What bothers me might not bother you. We talked about it in the Sunday school class this morning. What bothers me might not bother you. So if I lay something down, don't mean you have to lay that down. It means I do. If, I'm going, if that encumbers me, I'm going to lay it aside so I can finish my race. This is laid out in Romans 8. Did you know if you had, if you only, the only scripture you had was the eighth book of Romans, you can make it to heaven. That's all you need. Everything's explained there. Romans 8, 1. I'm going to read a lot of scripture here, so here we go. Romans 8, 1. There is... No condemnation now for those who live in union with Christ Jesus. We can say amen right there and go home. If you're in Christ Jesus, there's no more condemnation. Let me explain the difference between condemnation and... This is not my notes. This is free. Let me explain the difference between condemnation and conviction. Satan condemns. And condemnation will separate you from Christ because it makes you think you're unworthy. We're all unworthy, Right? But it makes you think you're so unworthy you can't even approach him. Condemnation pushes you away from Christ and gets, you, it gets in between you and Jesus Christ. Conviction. Con condemnation is from Satan. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. Conviction draws you to Christ, lets you see the need of a Savior, and pulls him toward that. So if you're filled in condemnation and unworthiness, say, Satan, get behind me. That's not of God. If you're feeling conviction, come to the altar and get it worked out because that's the Holy Spirit drawing you. That's the difference between condemnation and conviction. That was for somebody today, so take that with you. Romans 8, 1. There is no condemnation. I like it how the King James says, there is therefore no condemnation. <laughs> therefore. Anytime in the Bible when you see the word therefore, you need to look what it's there for. <laughs> there is no condemnation now for those who live in union with Christ. For the law of the Spirit, which brings us life in union with Christ Jesus, has set me free from the law of sin and death. What does that mean? We cannot live according to the law of sin and death and the Old Testament laws. The Old Testament law 
was not abolished. Jesus came to fulfill that law. The law is there to show us a need of a Savior because we cannot fulfill the law. So what is he saying here? The law of life in union with Christ Jesus. If you're walking in Christ, you're free from the law of sin and death because we're believing in Jesus Christ. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Does that make sense to anybody? Wave your little hand. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, what the law could not do because human nature was weak, God did. He condemned sin and human nature by sending his own son who came with a nature like man, sinful nature, to do away with sin. God did this so that the righteous demands of the law might be fully satisfied in us who live according to the spirit and not according to human nature. So far so good? Give me that. Huh? Look, if I need to go back and explain it. Or the deer in the headlight looks. Uh, those who live as their human nature tells them to have their minds controlled by what human nature wants. That's like Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way. So many people today are living that way. If it feels good, do it. I'm going to do it my way. This is what my nature, this is what my spirit tells me to do. You know, you can trust. Even Jiminy Cricket was wrong. He said, you know, you got to trust your consciousness on the inside. Guess what? Your conscience on the inside will lie to you. Those who live as the spirit tells them to have their minds controlled by what the spirit wants. To be controlled by human nature results in death. Bible says there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death. We can reason in our minds. We can talk ourselves into anything. We can lie to ourselves, and ourselves say, "That's okay, self. You go ahead." Right? Ouch. We got to listen to the Holy Spirit. To be controlled by the Spirit results in life and peace. And so, a person becomes an enemy of God when he is controlled by the human nature. For he does not obey God's law. And in fact, he cannot obey it. Those who obey their human nature cannot please God. But you do not live as your human nature tells you to. Thank God you're saved in Jesus Christ. Instead, you live as the Spirit tells you to. If in fact, God's Spirit lives in you. Whoever does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ lives in you, the Spirit is life for you because you have been put right with God even though your bodies are going to die because of sin. If the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the death lives in you, then he raised Christ from death and also gives life to your mortal bodies by the presence of his Spirit within you. The only means to live an overcoming holy life is not in ourselves or our works. Our works are as what? Filthy rags, look up the definition of that sometime. Not in ourselves or our works, but in faith, with faith in him who says, look to me, Jesus Christ. Look to me, trust the Lord. Look to me, trust in the Lord. Look to me, trust the Lord. Look to me in everything. Just look for salvation for daily provision, for healing, for freedom from sin, just look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's the answer for every question. Just look to Jesus. He says, look to me for whatever you need. It's so simple. We overcomplicate it. It's so simple. Right? Trust in Jesus. I remember my grandfather... Papa Stroud, 
He was a King James only person. You know, if it's good enough for Paul and Silas, it's good enough for him. <laughs> and it used to frustrate me because a lot of people have a hard time understanding King James. They don't teach Elizabethan English in, in high school anymore. You had to get college love before you understand that. But I learned to appreciate that in later years because he wanted to make sure that he trusted God and trusted the true word. You know, nowadays you have to be careful with what translations you get because some of them are wrong. Some of them have changed and altered the word and adulterated the word, and we need to be careful. And he wanted to make sure that he trusted God, and he would talk about the time that his family started trusting the Lord. Started trusting the Lord back in 19, whenever it was, when uh, in the 20s, I guess, when uh, the message of Pentecost came to the South. That's when they began trusting the Lord. The whole family got saved. The whole family got filled with the Holy Spirit. Began trusting the Lord for everything. Trusting the Lord. They put their trust in the Lord. I'm going to tell this, Mom. I'm sorry. She was born dead. My grandmother probably should have had a C-section. But they were birthing at home. You know, they called for the midwife. Granny Merritt came and was there. So it was so bad that they went to town and got the doctor which was six, ten miles away, something like that. And here he come. And she was born dead. Completely limp and lifeless and black. Born dead. Guess what? They trusted in Jesus, and they looked to him. They were praying, and Granny would dip her in cold water and dip her in warm water. And, you know how you take a towel and rub a little puppy to get them to breathe? <laughs> and that's what they did. They were praying in the Spirit. And guess what? They trusted in Jesus. There she is. <laughs> Years ago. <laughs> Trust in Jesus. Just look to him because he's the answer to every question. Just look to him. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, we love you so much and we're so thankful that you've given us our word. It is so simple. Thankful for our son.